random encounter at a broadcasting facility. A shared interest and love of all things Marvel. Excelsior! A misinterpreted program title. And behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick. Podcaster and comic book enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson! Upstate New York radio announcer, still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter! What are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And this is episode number whatever in our MCU watch-along of the history of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's entry number, what is it now, Eddie? Whatever cinematic movie it is now that we're up to. 26 or 27 or 28 or 29 or... 30 I don't think we 31, hit. I don't think we hit 30 yet. But 32, or they didn't 33, hit 34. Oh, we, sorry. We follow along. Okay. It's like numbers. But in regards to this episode, we are talking about 2023's Ant-Man and the Wasp. Quantumania. And joining us on the other end of the tin cannon string, we are joined with repeat offender. I mean, repeat. Yeah, guest. Stu Greenberg. Stu, good evening. Hello, everyone. Eddie, Peter, pleasure to be here. And actually. This movie is the 31st in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, take it. Thank you. So in regards to this movie, let's just get this out of the way right off the bat. Uh, first off, spoilers. If you have not watched this movie... And you, don't the... want it to, and you don't want it to be ruined for you, or at least these other viewpoints that are just our own, then... Yeah, shut this episode off. Or if you're like, you know, you're stuck in a chair or something, like you can't get loose. You're like in the movie, uh, that one movie, you know... <laughs> Where you're like tied up in it's like the movie Misery. You're tied up. If you can find a way, throw a baseball bat at the phone. Or it's like Vanessa Williams in the movie Eraser. She's kind of tied, and then she actually gets free and whacks the crap out of that guy. That's kinky. So anyway, no, it's not. Turn off this episode if you do not want the movie spoiled. Anyway, let's talk about real quick. This movie uh, is, if you go uh, via RottenTomatoes.com, it is considered now the second entry in the MCU with a rotten rating, and woof, I understand. I sometimes will agree with, you know, these scores, because nine times out of ten, if I see a number, I'm like, eh, didn't appeal to me, I get why it sucks. Did I hear right in thinking, or somebody told me, I think, that it was a point above their review of uh, Eternals? Probably. Okay. But I don't know what it is as of right now, but it is deemed, quote-unquote, rotten. But, again... I liked the movie. I thought it was fine. It was uh, actually liked it more on my second viewing. I got to see it at an Alamo Draft House over in uh, Lower Manhattan on the second viewing, and I thought it was neat. I sent it over to Eddie as I was watching it. But I'll, I'm gonna, you know, do a little show and tell for Eddie for the audio yes, podcast. I love it. I love it. As everything falls out of my bag, uh, we have a little. Well, I have a Beanie Baby in my bag, but we also have. You didn't get that from there, did sanitizer. you? Sanitizer? No, Eddie. We have the menu. Yes, it's very. And Eddie, small. I want you to read for the people at home the Alamo Draft House menu. Oh, hold on. Do you need the magnifying glass that it came I with, Eddie? I just might. It's like a tag on a piece of clothing for crying out it loud. Is, it's that small. It is a brilliant marketing. Uh, it's the quantum strategy. menu. Here is the magnifying glass, oh, yes. Eddie, because you'll need magnifi- that. Yeah. Oh, and it works. <laughs> well, obviously. Well, if sir. you turn it the other way, I thought it would make it even smaller, but it, no, it, it does. Might. It's the quantum menu, orange slices shake. For ten ninety five, and spicy honey thyme wings for sixteen ninety five, <laughs> with of course the little description which is smaller and not in as bold print. 
Do we want a description of these things? Do you want to, Eddie? I uh, maybe. Cream, For posterity, posterity's sake. Since we're here, creamy orange blended with vanilla ice cream topped with whipped cream. That's your orange slices shake. And spicy honey thyme wings, like I said. Fried chicken wings. Thyme-infused honey and sriracha sauce. Fresh basil, green onions, served with blue cheese dressing. Sounds like a meal plan. It was delicious. I didn't have any of those, by the way. I actually had popcorn. I had uh, the pickle fries, and the dinner was the uh, cauliflower, the buffalo Wait, cauliflower bucket. Wait, you mean bucket. fried pickles? Yeah. Well, no, they were they were slices of pickles, not, oh, not the cut li- cut, but like as in like fries. Oh, long ways. <laughs> not. not, not. <laughs> he eats corn on the cob the long way. Anyway. <laughs> Um, Yikes. <laughs> yes, anyway. Uh, didn't think we were starting like this. <laughs> I didn't want okay. to, but um, yeah, and I had a nice Keegan Ale, Keegan, uh, delicious beverage. Just overall a good time at the Alamo Draft House. And Viewing have, number two, yes. If you have an ability to go to an Alamo Draft House to see a Marvel movie, why not? Go for it. Go for it, sport. You going to do it? Do it. Do it. Do it, you coward. Starsky and Hunch do it. As a matter of fact, actually, uh, comic book couples counseling, friends of the show, they uh, recently hosted a screening of Howard the Duck with the introduction by also friend of the show, Chip Zdarsky, and it's pretty great. I'll send it over to you later. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so this movie, right off the bat, again, I understood where those complaints would come from from a lot of people. I liked the movie, but... I will preface it like this. I liked it more than Thor Love and Thunder, which is a contentious topic over the last few uh, months. Like, that is, like, vilified as, like, one of the worst movies ever made in the MCU. I'm like, it's not bad, but it's not good either. You know? It's like, whatever. It's passable. It's a movie. Enjoy yourselves. Personally, you know, go ahead. You, Peter, I have to tell you that when I, at the end of Quantumania, I was actually thinking to myself, um, it's good, but I liked Thor: Love and Thunder better. Really? I liked both movies, and the and the reason that I liked Thor: Love and Thunder better is that even though they were cheap shots at pulling your emotional hearts uh, uh, strings, they uh, Thor: Love and Thunder actually did. I mean, I, I you know I felt you know waves of emotion. Um, uh, this Quantum Mania was good, and I liked it, but I just kind of processed it i didn't you know I, I i didn't have any strong emotional highs or lows i think i think i might have enjoyed um this movie more than thor but i think thor produced poor uh, more emotions if you know what i mean i get especially with the storyline involving uh jane like 100 exactly. i get that yeah I would totally agree with that, but I'm not of the mindset, although for the purposes of the podcast, yes, it would be nice if you said, I like this one better than the other one. I think it did well, uh, very well, in what it was, Quantumania, and and I'm not saying it was better or worse than Thor Love and Thunder. I am. Of of recent stature. Yeah, I know. But (laughs) I think it took its place in the grand big old puzzle of all the Marvel movies and where it fits in. This this is the next piece and here it fits right here. It wrapped up the trilogy of Ant-Man and the Wasp as I've been reading and so on and started what, phase five, I guess, now. Well, what I like about this kind of movie is everyone's going on saying, you know, if they like the movie or not and I like that, you know, maybe ten movies down the line, 
this might have its hero's redemption in the sense of, well, we did something in another movie where, hey, you might want to like this movie now so it can change your opinion due to, like, something happening, like, mm. in Endgame with the uh, redemption of uh, Thor of the Dark World, which, by the way, since that movie came out, if you remember, every time I would be like, I'm going to rewatch that movie. Guess what I still haven't done since yeah. 2019? Yeah, you also need to watch Eddie and the Cruisers. I sure do, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> but Both of them. So... With this movie, I liked it a lot. Well, not a lot, but I liked the movie. I thought it was a very good movie. And one of my biggest things noticing about this movie, one of the things, you know, in conversation with Ryan Griffin, friend of the show, was the fact that, you know, he made the comment that it's like a Star Wars movie. And I get that in terms of the costumes, in terms of this, in terms of that. For me, it gave me big-time Attack of the Clones vibes. Specifically with the one scene where they go into the quantum realm and, like, you see, like, the dirty underbelly with, like, the gaudy neon lights where you end up having Obi-Wan meet Sleaze Bagano, you know. That's literally the character's name, by the way, the one who tries to sell death sticks. But it's that area, that very gaudy kind of thing. It's funny that you say that, Peter, because um, uh, Max and Dina, the Wonder Twins, and I saw this with our other, with our friends, and, and uh, two other sets of twins and uh, three other parents. And when we all, the ten of us walked out of the theater, almost to a person, everybody was like, wow, this is like a Star Wars movie. And, um, you know, th- also when I looked at it, there were several scenes that mirrored, like, the uh, cantina uh, scene. Yep. And, and there were ones that mirrored, like, the the lining up of the um, uh, you know, robots in the, prequels so you know i think that it was very much uh, star wars like and you know we also said it had a little bit of the guardians of the galaxy feel which actually brings me to my major kind of philosophical point about an ant-man movie the benefit of an ant-man movie is looking at the size differential um being played with like you know you know ant-man being tiny and running around in the tub you know the you know the little tiny matchbook sized cars you know going over the hills of uh, san francisco in this movie by going down into the quantum realm of course ant-man and the wasp and can't see um a stature probably um fight using the shrinking technology but there's really not that size differential so in many ways, this goes beyond being an Ant-Man movie to being, you know, the start of Phase 5. I agree. And just to clarify, if not for anybody else, but for myself, and I tried to look up some info before seeing it so I could be familiar with names and so on, that, yes, uh, in the comics, I guess, stature. And I don't think it was referred to in the movie that you didn't call her out by name. No, not yet. I don't yet. think. They have not done that with her yet. Right, but that's her character name. And, you know, we find out that in the time that the blip happened, yeah, Cassie uh, learned science and got a suit. And or, you know, I don't know if they would bring in the name Stinger. I think that was another name for her. It's Sting! Oh, sorry, wrong Sting. <laughs> but um, what got me also was the incorporation of different, different characters in the uh, quantum realm. I want to talk about that. One of the biggest cameos in the movie, not a lot of time in the movie for the character of him, but... Krylar, who, by the way, was introduced in and died in The Incredible Hulk number 156, played by the great Bill Murray. And I kind of loved that this character was not what a Bill Murray character has been 
over the last you know two decades of film portrayals because every movie that he's in is hi I'm Bill Murray I'm sleepwalking through my lines because I did it in the Wes Anderson movies and people really like those movies so I'm going to do that in every single movie now bye it's it's literally that hmm. okay. this movie he was like super flamboyant really funny and just like out there and I kind of like that well now that you mentioned that I, I didn't realize he did what you just said he did in other other movies it, but it's a I lot only, of, it's the same but the last Bill Murray I know is from Charlie's Angels and to me I drew a parallel in a sense that he was like, a box he was Beep. hello angels no he was he was held prisoner I forgot if it was the first or the second one they stole um, the box and but he was like fly to me angels you know whatever and his you know his tooth gave off the frequency that they could hone in on and I think he was comical. I just don't know what al- what race, alien race he, he was because he came up with the line, oh, human, is that what you call yourselves? Or Right? He was human in all the ways that needed to be. I wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, there's a topic to get into. We will. Okay. No, well, let's not. Well, <laughs> the, the, the thing is, too, is that there was a major shift in the understanding of the quantum realm in this movie because if we look at the second movie, you know, we were told that you know, Janet was in a place that basically no one could survive, and it was so dangerous and so desolate. And then, you know, we come in this movie to, you know, literally to micro-societies and all different you know, cities and, and tribes of people, and, and it's just, it's strange. In, in many ways, what it's doing is it's going from, you know, the concept of the quantum realm in the previous movies the idea of like the microverse in the comics, and you know, I was half hoping for one of the the mighty Micronauts to show up, and I, <laughs> I, you know, I'm going to have to watch a movie again, but I didn't spot any of them. So there were no that. Um, by the way, Eddie, as I'm looking through this right now, I'm literally googling right now about Micronauts with uh, Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. Well, see, this is where I didn't pick up anything or think yeah, of that. I, there isn't. I, I, I saved that thinking and was squelched. Because at the end of the first one, I thought, "Hey, this could lead to," and it's but surprised. then we, you know, because of licensing and well, all that stuff, that that but, might not happen. But more. there's only a few characters they can't utilize. Like realistically, almost everybody in Micronauts was an original creation by Bill Mantlo mm-hmm. and Michael Golden. So as a result, you could get away with using, you know, the character of Bug. You could get away with using the character of name whose di- name I don't remember. A Croyer. Sure, but marionette. You can't, you can't use yeah marionette. Commander for Ran. You can't use Baron Karza, for example, because oh. he's an original character in that, for, okay. or not an original character, but one made by Migo. So as a result, you can't use Baron Karza. But Biotron, Microtron. I don't know. But anyway, giving you the names. Sure. Eddie, <laughs> Eddie's just making names up now, ladies you, and gentlemen. Stu, you he, agree? You know what I'm talking he's about? Making them up. I, I agree with you. I, I I'm I'm. In awe of your recall. That's no, this great. this is where on the episode of you haven't read that Peter was lacking and needed to do the reading because he had no, no micronauts uh, under his belt, so to but speak. But I did read them. Yes, and I had them back in the day when we were suggested that from. Eddie, why'd Marshall? you smack me? Because you earned it, Bucko. <laughs> but in regards to the the whole element of the micronauts, you know, they didn't use them in this, and I do feel like it was a missed opportunity. Like you could have introduced somebody. But I feel like the reason they didn't do that was because of the fact of, hey, we introduced these characters. What happens if someone really loves these characters as a result and they want more of them? And now, well, shit out of luck, buddy. Come on by for phase 12 where it's, you know, going to be like, oh, I don't know, uh, next wave and uh, hmm, uh, 
got the rights to VR Troopers somehow. Figured that we'll, one out. We'll right. go into the new universe and we'll get Comet Man. Oof. Oof. Starbrand. Oh, no. Although, realistically, Starbrand could happen in the MCU. Just saying. Mm-hmm. But, well, I, you know, I think it's hard. you'd be hard-pressed for anybody who saw this and maybe who didn't see anything Star Wars to not come away with saying, oh, yeah, I thought I would look like it was familiar. So, oh, yeah, okay, but not to the point of where I know, like you said, Stu, about these micro, uh, you know, population and so on. You, I don't think got a men in black sense, really, more than a Star Wars, right? Am I wrong here? I saw Star Wars 100% with this. Yes, like, but not a men gleep, in black sense. The gleep, no, no. No, no, okay. no, 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 not, no. I, I didn't think men in black at all, although but that that's a very good you know, um, reference, Eddie, I think, you know, it makes a lot of sense considering, you know, the the plots of the movie of, you know, not everything has to be big, uh, of yep. the Men in Black movies. But, you good know, I, good I, pun, I think, by the way. I think it was very, um, very interesting, um, you know, and, and I'm I'm surprised because, you know, um, that, it, it, that it was rated so poorly on Rotten Tomatoes because, you know, it, it, it was a pretty decent movie and it has... You know the Paul Rudd effect, where you know he's just lovable and he could do anything, and you're just like, oh, he's so cute. <laughs> yeah. So, on the absolute opposite end of the uh, spectrum for that, menacing and evil. I'm a Kang guy, and I gotta say now, like they did a really good job making a character more villainous and ominous than Thanos was, to the point where Thanos could have done so many certain things. He didn't just flat out kill people like instantaneously like he does at the very end of this movie where it's just like just vaporizes everybody one after the other after the other yeah no i i I totally i totally agree i think that you know um uh, i think it was um you know either max or dina the you know the wonder twins who were saying that yeah this totally sets up the new bad guy of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and and the actor uh, did a, a marvelous job. Jonathan and, Majors. Oh, he, he it was it was it was great. You know, he he was very nuanced in his acting, and and uh, you know, very measured in his uh, you know emotional reveal. And I I thought it was great. I I think he did a really nice job. And I think that you know, um, you need someone with that depth and that nuance to to kind of portray you know, these multivariant kind of uh, villains where we're going to see multiple versions of the same guy. Well, what got me was, you know, when I went to go see the movie and I went through the uh, mid credit scene, saw that scene, and then immediately bolted out of the theater because I really had to go pee. <laughs> <laughs> that that's It is now my standard MCU protocol when I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't pee beforehand. Foom. But anyway, as I bolt out of the theater friend of the show CJ Mira brings up the comment and it made me it got a big laugh out of me because he said it and then it happened to me I walk out and the very first thing I see on the wall was a poster for Creed 3 with Jonathan Majors <laughs> as the opponent of uh Creed in the movie and he goes to the he, let me see wh- what the text was is it was it killed me basically like every single time now you know when you see Jonathan Majors it's technically just going to be a Kang uh, variant <laughs> so w- I walk out of the theater I'm like oh they got the boxing Kang movie next can't wait <laughs> like I was I saw that I'm like this is just imagine being that little kid that walks out of the theater and you just go oh Kang's a boxer too that's cool <laughs> hey mom you want to go see that 
Okay, I get you. Yeah, well, Jonathan Majors Kang. I, I oh, think this is he ruled. He, I think he, he is yes Thanos level, but the kind where he could shake your hand and be stabbing you at the same time. Uh, you you don't want to turn your back on him. It's uh, because you know at the beginning when he encounters uh, Janet, you know where is this place? And you know you kind of have to have pity on him. You don't know what's going on with him, but then oh forget it. Yeah. He he absolutely knocked it out of the park in this role, and like we already had, you know, the little bit of a, a appetizer beforehand with Loki season one. Which, by the way, that ending we got the preview of Loki season two, and sure, I I will admit I was that asshole in the theater as like since it's the end of the movie, I Owen Wilson shows up and in the theater I just go wow, <laughs> <laughs> well perfect. <laughs> Was so. that, you know, refresh my memory from the end of, of Loki season one, was that the time period clothing that they were wearing when we got to this to the end credit scene? I don't remember. Uh, I You know, I was trying to place it in, like, the Roaring Twenties or something to that effect. That had to uh, been um, at least 1910 or something. Right, and was it Victor Timely was the advertised yes. name or something? Which, by the way, Timely is a reference also because what was the name of Marvel before? Before they Marvel, were, yeah. And they were Atlas Comics, so, like, they have they find so many different ways to sneak in and, uh, the history of Marvel. Maybe Victor is 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 Doom, Victor Von Doom, I suppose. That's all I can I, think of right now. I don't but. see that. I really don't see that. But if they do, you heard it here first. <laughs> you know, like I don't know, like I can't see that personally. But I would say also, like, let's talk about. Well, he had the time machine, didn't he? Victor Von Doom from like issue number five. So, and then when, and then when you saw the three versions of Kang, which one I was like, oh, that's Ramatub. We talked about that in FF number nineteen. Yes. Okay. And <laughs> I don't remember the, all three incarnations of Kang in that. Man, Eddie pointing thing. was the funniest thing to see just now. I, just I do that a lot, you know. I also love like again, I like how these movies will show the audience love that you know if you've paid attention to these movies even the most minute little thing like I remember seeing that guy fight dad the bee it's the bee guy yeah that's right (laughs) which by the way so let's talk about the uh, gigantic elephant face in the room (laughs) Uh, jammed into the construct that is MODOK I love MODOK but I will be the very first to admit Good lord, was that CG terrible for that? Like, I'm looking, I'm just like, you could do so much better. Like, this is the company that you know owns Avatar. Like, they made blue people look real. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I'm looking at that. I'm like, it looked like PS4 level graphics. I'm like, I could I could play this like ten years ago on my PlayStation. What the hell's wrong with this? Why does this look like this? And, but and also, I you know, I the logic of Darren becoming that character makes perfect sense. It does, 100%. But, so it, it does, but I think that, you know, it's not in line with, like, the the MODOK backstory. So it's just, it, you know, one, once again, you know, it's the whole, well, Namor isn't from Mesoamerica, and that makes me feel, you know, you know discontent. So, I mean, you know, this MODOK wasn't the MODOK from the comics and you know while this new modoc might be perfectly fine it just seemed weird to me how it was brought about i mean you know yeah. and, and also the pretty bad like tiktok um level um cgi didn't do it any uh, uh you know service yeah 
did was very like, like I don't know. It was one thing to see the Modoc face, and then when you saw the actual face, that was yeah, stretched yeah. out and sometimes kind of funny, but weird, scary at the same time. I didn't wasn't sure how I should feel about what he was saying and how he looked more than anything. I was just like, woof, they could have done like, so much better. <gasps> I mean, I'm hearing what he's saying, but just... Did you just do a heck hill? Ball. Kind and, of, sort of. What and, the hell? And Ooh. also, okay, and, you know, and this is just for me, um, so take it as you will, the whole exchange of, you know, don't be a dick. And, and, and <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I was walking out of the theater and I, I you know i told the other nine people in our group i'm like that was a major you know motion picture and you know one of the major plot lines relied on kind of you know uh off-color joke and it just it seemed weirdly out of place to me i don't know so that's maybe that's just me yeah or they i, I can i get that or they didn't know where to go with it maybe in a sense um they they brought in this character. They went only maybe so far. They thought they could go with it, and then it's like, okay, we're gonna drop them now. I just I thought the line, you know, don't be a dick. Like it felt weird to hear that in there, but also like, at the same time, it it's the hum. Like I know that's gonna be the line that a lot of people are gonna complain about. Like over the you know next few years, like I know why people would complain about that, but at the same time, it's like it's Marvel. Marvel will make you know quippy lines like that. Like sure. I get that, but it's also like I don't know, like. I personally, I still will always laugh when I hear the people bitch about the Star-Lord dance scene, and it's like, wow, you watched the whole movie, and you didn't get the character even at the end. It took you an yeah. entire movie, and it's like, yeah, he of course would do that. And then you'll hear, like, you know, the Snide Cells go on saying, oh, what are they going to do, have Superman dance at the end of the movie? No, because that wouldn't be what his character would do. If you look at Star-Lord, Star-Lord is a schmuck. Yeah. As a schmuck, I appreciate it. <laughs> Let's leave that one there, I, sir. Know, I, I think you, you know when you first see when one of the other, at least a couple of other major characters encounters Modok and realizes, like Ant Man and like Hank Pym says, Darren, you know, like in, yeah. incredulously, and you changed your hair. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it's so goofy, and it's like here's the thing about Modok too. Modok is a goofy character just in general, like. I love I love hearing people go on saying it should have been Pat Oswalt that plays the character should have done this should have done that, no, like Pat Oswalt's already pipped the troll. Yeah, although yeah, although is right. Yes, <laughs> what I want to say Chris is, is you can well no not in that universe although I don't I don't know anymore with this shit but like <laughs> now we're getting somewhere. Yep. What I'll say is this: you have the character of Veb. And you can have a person play multiple roles in the MCU because Veb is played by David Desmulchin. And when I saw that name, I'm like, wait, they brought that character back from... Uh... And by the way, I was shocked. No mention whatsoever of uh, the, the company, the security company. Uh, like, at all. Like, uh, okay. we didn't even get a return of... Uh, what's his name? Michael, Michael Pena? Yeah, Michael Pena's character doesn't show up. It's like, he was one... like. I wonder if, like, so many people didn't like this movie because some certain characters didn't show up that, you know, were staples of that brand, kind of, mm. you know? Mm. And I get that, but, like, he plays Veb. Veb, the, uh, the drink the ooze. The little, you know, weird, like... Mm -hmm. I'm waiting for an action figure of that character. That's going to be interesting to see. And that's the end of that story. Yeah, but, yeah um, it could be. And it, that's an original character, by the way. Like, that is not... Veb is not from the comics. 
So to be able to see that character like just a completely new original creation, I'm curious to see if they're going to shoehorn that character in in the future. Like you know, first appearance of Veb in like, oh I don't know, Guardians of the Galaxy or something, because that would work in the Guardians. Yes. And then you also have the uh, the forehead guy, and I'm not talking about uh, the guy from Law and Order, but um, yeah, you know uh, what's his name? Uh, hold on, let me just type in his name: Law and Order, Order Forehead Guy. Christopher Maloney. So anyway, I'm not talking about Christopher Maloney, the Law and Order forehead guy. But, you know, you see this character and, like, the weirdness of, like, and that's why, like, I also get that whole element of everyone saying, oh, it's like Star Wars with, like, all these, you know, weird, unique characters. That is a Star Wars character right then and there. This show is brought to you by our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash themarvelists. And on the $3 tier, you'll get access to episodes early and ad-free. The $5 tier gets you our two bonus shows. One, Fantastic Voyage, where we dissect and just talk about the 102 issues, one by one, although if it's a storyline more than one at a time, of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's amazing, incredible, spectacular, invincible, and fantastic run of the Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comic magazine. And... Two, you haven't read that? A show dedicated to the comic books that I haven't read yet. Some Marvel, some DC, all fun. And on the $8 tier, pick a topic of your choosing, not a topping of your choice. Or perhaps you can be a guest on The Marvelists. Above all else, we thank you for your continued support. You know, like that he can read the minds and you have like the little indents on his forehead. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, I was good with that character. I was going to ask... But, yeah, but you know, that's also like the book character from Star Trek Discovery. When, when uh, you know, book does um, um, his empathy, his forehead glows too. So there's certain ways visually to show mind reading. And, you know, I, I, thought, it, I thought it was interesting. I, I thought, the, you know, the Motley crew, I liked the fact that, you know, they were, they went by the buildings and... I don't remember who said it was like, oh, the buildings are alive. And one of them said, your buildings are dead. And, you know, so, I mean, those were those were clever little, you know, asides and, and interesting. Um, you know, it's just, as I said, um, there was this, all these different civilizations there. And um, it just, it was a pretty harsh break from how they had described the quantum realm in the past. So yeah. that was kind of a stumbling block for me. Right, right. Any, uh, Stu, any problems that you have with uh, the characters as we saw them, like the 18-year-old Cassie, for example, getting into trouble with the law, maybe following in her father's footsteps in that sense, or just the way she behaved? Nice callback, by the way, in that, because it's that's how he's introduced in the first Ant-Man. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I think it was, I think it was okay. I mean, I, I you know, I, I think that it was, it was very, a very shorthand way to kind of sketch out the whole, you know, father-daughter relationship, you know, they obviously didn't want to spend a lot of time in San Francisco. They wanted to spend most of the time in the quantum realm. So that felt a little bit rushed to me, um, but I didn't necessarily have a problem with it. But, you know, um, uh, uh, like, uh, you know, if, if you look at, at that character, Cassie, they're, they're obviously starting to gear up you know, for uh, the Young Avengers. And, um, you know, if we look at, you know, the other, you know, 
presidential candidates that we've seen, you know, you can definitely see a junior team coming together. Yeah, agreed. The other thing um, that I've heard some mixed about was with respect to Janet, you know, not only not telling everybody else about her time in the quantum realm, i.e. Kang, uh, but the relationship, question mark, between her and Krylar. That was hot. No, I'm kidding. So, I, you know, we don't know what happened there, and, you know, the whole thing about I had needs, and apparently uh, so did Hank Pym, and there was somebody named Linda. Yeah, and I was, I, Eddie, do you know who that might be referring to? Because I was racking my brain if that was a specific reference. Yeah, it could have been. I would imagine, I guess, or or at the very least, we had to come up with a name. So yeah. I don't know, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you would think you would think that after this, you know, big thing with the blip um, and uh, coming back and having a, you know, a Thanos-level kind of foe, that Janet might want to say something, hey, there's this other lurking danger that we have to be concerned about. So, yeah, yes. And, uh, that because, was kind of weird. Yeah, because the criticism was, well, she's a pretty smart cookie, you know, a scientist and everything. You think she would have not omitted the fact that there's somebody dangerous down there? But, but then we only got to maybe see that if you read into it when she immediately reacted to Cassie saying, uh, or to Cassie by saying, you you sent a signal down there? What kind of what kind of cookie are we talking about? Are we talking about peanut butter cookie? Are we talking about, you know, uh, black and white cookie? Are we talking about sugar cookie? We're talking about Your favorite almond cookie. insert here. Peter, yes. a very tiny cookie, a quantum cookie. Peak Freens, very serious cookie. What about Hydrox? Look it up. Yeah. Hydrox, which sounds like a cleaning solution. You know what? I think uh, a very good use of music in terms of John Sebastian's Welcome Back. They all did it was it was that song. Like I looked, much, at, I looked yeah. at like the licensed music at the end. I'm like, oh, that's all there was? And I'm kind of shocked about that. I liked it. I thought it was a really neat usage. It's like, oh, welcome back, Cotter. But in one of the preview, one of the trailers, I think there Yellow was a, Brick Road. a great use of Elton John's "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road." Yeah, which I will keep saying, like they do a really good job with the trailers in terms of some of the songs they pick. Like, you know, there's uh, "Do You Realize" by the uh, Flaming Lips in the San Diego Comic Con Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three trailer, and then in the most recent one, "Since You've Been Gone" by Rainbow Witch. That's the one Oof. I couldn't think of. That's like, the one. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, that one hit like a ton of bricks. Mm-hmm. So. Every single song usage, I am shocked they didn't use Yellow Brick Road in the final product, but it makes sense because they really won't do that, you know? Mm. Unless, you know, you're uh, Zack Snyder and you want to shoehorn in, you know, Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen every single time. <laughs> I heard. Enjoyable, and I'm, and we talked about this, Peter and I, at least before recording, but the uh, time of the green screen. But, you know There's what? A l- it's a lot, and, like, yeah. I understand why because, yeah. you know— you can't get a real location for a quantum realm. I don't know if you guys know that. It's very difficult to come by. Mm-hmm. It's also very uh, annoying. The one complaint about the movie that I have heard non-friggin' stop. This looks like Spy Kids 3D. I wouldn't know because I never saw Spy Kids, but I saw the uh, the tired meme over and over again. Mm-hmm. Get new material, ladies and gentlemen. And that's coming from a guy who, you know, basically rips Norm Macdonald's shtick of I didn't even know he was sick. But, you know, just it's tiring. It's it's mid as hell to hear those, you know, tired, tired, tired jokes. And that's coming from me. 
So you know it's saying something. Yeah. But I digress. Uh, in regards to let's let's see what else we got for this movie. Like let's talk about the uh, the mid credit scene with the uh, the Council of Ricks, but they're Kangs. Yeah, the there's three a that lot. Happens, yeah. Ooh, holy! Well, we shit. get from the three, and then we get into the multi, just like we had all those ant men, and you know, see, all working together to build that, like like that an actual adventure. colony of ants. Yep. But the very first thing I thought of was the uh, the dead bodies in World War Z that are you know creating like that big thing in the end. I'm like, oh, that's what I'm thinking of. Oh well, no. But it wasn't. I I thought of that as well. Really, you yeah. thought that too? Yeah, I, I I that imagery that's what flashed back in my mind. It's it's World War Z was a very unremarkable movie, but like that scene, like it was in the trailers, it was on the you know the uh, movie version of the book. It's memorable, you know. I abstain. That's all I can tell you with that because I don't see it. Very nice, Eddie. So in <laughs> in regards to, let's see what else. Oh, so the- so what was interesting um, is they wanted to give Hank something to do. So the whole thing that the ants fell into the quantum realm, but they got caught in a time vortex and developed a society, and it was kind of really convenient to get your like battle ants in the in the third act. Mm-hmm. That yeah. was, you know, that just seemed that way to me. I think it worked well. The way it yeah, I, I yeah. think it did. I think it did. I, I you know, it was in line with you know his character and. You know they were cool to look at, but it it was just once again this movie felt very in a way it felt very disjointed with various set pieces and then like these little like uh, interconnections to get the whole thing to run together. So it was, it was kind of choppy in my mind. By the way, I just wanted to throw out Eddie real quick. Uh, Victor Timely, a Kang variant who in the comics hid in the early 20th century, living as a politician and inventor, appears in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania's second post credit scene. So this is per uh, ScreenRant.com. And on the topic of Kang, I want to bring up something that I love that they actually found a way to explain this. Mm. Because when I see Kang in the comics, he's in Blueface. Yeah. And it always annoys the hell out of me because when I heard Jonathan Majors was going to be playing the character, I'm like, so what? They're going to like paint his face blue or some shit? Like, that's mm-hmm. stupid. Like, you know, what? what is he going to be, like an avatar? No. Mm-hmm. And the way they explain it in the movie is literally like it's a electronic field in front of his face. And I'm like, I can believe it. That yep. was yep. fantastic. That, I mean, that, you know, you have to give them all the kudos for that. That that was a super clever way to you know match the comic. It made perfect sense. It looked cool, and you know, I, you know like I said, I, I really think that was very well done. The the one thing that um, is, was interesting is I thought we might get some hints of the Fantastic Four because you know Kang is a descendant of a. Richard, is that not true? That I mean, I think Kang's one of the Kang variants is Reed Richards' father. Mm. Okay, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Like, I, I just think over- that could be down the line. Absolutely. And by the way, uh, one of the uh, comic book uh, CBR dot com they actually posted about Hank's ex Linda could tease his daughter Nadia, so we might have another uh, aunt person. Okay. So there, there's a lot like. There's so much like the mention of incursions teases the Secret Wars event. 
of the uh, the what's it called the Secret Wars from uh, 2015 by uh, everyone's favorite chart loving uh, the pe- the people who uh, own Graph Paper. You know, if you want to sell Graph Paper, sell it off to uh, Jonathan Hickman. <laughs> oh, who's knocking at the door, getting ready to punch me in the face again? Hi, John. <laughs> you want to do the show? <laughs> Might not knock. <laughs> no, he'll just knock me out. Listen but here, you. Oh man, that's still my favorite photo. But in regards to. I would also say let's talk about uh, Hank Pym in the movie because I enjoyed him in the role, but there were comments made about him and both uh, him and Michelle Pfeiffer's uh, Janet Van Dyne where it felt like they were reading off of cue cards. I got that in some parts. I did get that in some parts, but for the most part, I liked seeing uh, Michael Douglas reprise the role of Hank Pym. And by the way, one of the things a lot of people were talking about with this movie, everyone is expecting a character to die. Like, the way they framed the trailer, they're like, oh, shit, somebody's going to die. And no, it didn't happen. Well, Kang technically did. But a Kang did. Mm. But you look at these characters like Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne, and it's like, are they going to get killed off in the movie? If they were going to kill somebody off, I was expecting Michael Douglas's character. Well, you know, I had an oh, crap moment when, when you know, at the end of the movie, when, you know, they're... they're leaping through the vortex to get home, and then, you know, uh, Scott is fighting uh, Kang, and, you know, uh, you know, appears to be trapped. I'm, I'm like, this is it. Scott's now tr- stuck in the, in the quantum realm. And then when you see Hope comes through, I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe they're now both stuck. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of a way they wrap up the Ant-Man, you know, trilogy, but... Obviously, you know, super genius daughter, you know, gets them back to you know, Earth. But, you know, for, for a moment, I was like, this is what they're going to do. This is going to be the big reveal that Scott's going to be stuck in the quantum realm. And one of the other things a lot of people were talking about with this movie was the whole media bonanza that, you know, he becomes Scott, you know, Scott Lang after the uh, effects of the blip and everything. How he's an author. He's this. He's that. You know, there there was a. Uh, I'm trying to remember where, but like they were like hyping like there would be an Ant Man podcast, like you know where he's like recounting his adventures as a podcast host, and this and that. And the only thing we really got was the whole point of he wrote a book, and I was really expecting it would be very cliche to do it, but you know it's more a Paul Rudd thing as opposed to a Scott Lang. I was hoping and praying there would be a Conan O'Brien cameo where he goes. So I got to show you my latest project, and it's literally just a clip of him playing the uh, the wheelchair scene from Mac and Me. But it didn't happen, and I'm so disappointed. But, <laughs> you know, in regards to the media bonanza, quote-unquote, the character, Look Out for the Little Guy is, in fact, actually going to be a real book. That's awesome. And it's going to be available in stores, I believe, this fall. And it's, like, it's available for pre-order right now on Amazon. And I'm like, I kind of want to get a copy of that. <laughs> and... You know, I want to see how they, like, they tie so much in because, like, it's going to be, you know, him talking about his life, his career, and everything with the blip. And I feel like that is actually going to be, we're officially entering the part of the MCU now where you need to watch the Disney Plus shows to understand things that are going on. You might have to buy this book and read this book to understand certain things in the future in the MCU. And, and in my mind, the ultimate meta moment would be to get a photo op with Paul Rudd and have him signing the book, you know, while you're there. So, mm-hmm. you know, that would be 
an awesome, you know, a piece of, um, uh, uh, you know, a collectible to put in your collection. Now, I want to ask, would you, would you have him sign it as Paul Rudd or Scott Lang? Because Scott Lang is the author of that book. Um, I would have him, I would pay whatever extra money it would cost to have him sign it as both of those and Ant-Man. So. Um, That's a good I'm, idea. I'm with that both. But it should be all one price, and not. Oh, Eddie, Eddie, and Eddie! It's just a couple extra words for crying oh, out loud. Oh, Eddie, yeah. you know the world we live in. Mm, yeah, there, well, we may be talking about you know a small superhero, but the prices are always gigantic. Well, how else are they going to pay the booking fee? <laughs> that is pretty funny. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I mean, you know, I in general, I I like the movie. I I liked. You know, uh, Kang. I like to set up. You know, you know. As I said before, you know, Paul Rudd is adorable, and you know, and and it's just, uh, it was an enjoyable event for me. I, you know, I think that, as I said, it didn't hit. You know, the emotional highs and lows that like Thor and Love, uh, Thor Love and Thunder did, but it, it 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 was a better movie, and I think it was more important in setting up you know Phase Five. So, you know. I'd give it a, a, a non-reserved thumbs up. So for me, my initial viewing, I gave it like a six out of uh, six out of ten. You know, which roughly translates to about you know maybe a two point seven five. And then second viewing, I honestly wanted to give it a uh, what do you call it? Uh, Higher. Yeah, it came up to seven, but it's a it is a solid. Um, Solid uh, three out of uh, three out of five, seven out of ten. You know, and it's it's a very fun movie for what it is. My only complaint, and it'll happen sometimes with some of these movies, you're looking at your watch, wondering when it's going to go. And my first viewing, it felt like it dragged in certain spots. Like towards the end, it dragged. When they're in the quantum realm and they're you know trying to get out, whatever. Second viewing, like that. Felt nice. Maybe and maybe with the uh, extended fight scene. I don't. With, with I don't Kang know. and Ant Man. Because if I was looking at my watch phone, it was only just to see, okay, how much more is there to go? Not in a bad way though. It was moving along fine. I thought. And I'm going with since we're doing two ratings, eight and a half out of ten, and four out of five. So we got to go on a small scale and a large scale. So I get it for this episode. <laughs> it's a it's a different. <sighs> System. Yes, so Eddie, Eddie. And I, I, I think that for me, the only problem was that in some of the bigger set pieces or the, the bigger battles, it was a little bit hard to keep track of what was going on. And, you know, and basically, I, you weren't sure where to focus. And that was a little bit difficult. So, you know, I, I would say that. Um, I would probably give it a, a seven out of a ten. That, that would be my rating. Is that a, you know, mm-hmm. I do have a question for you, um, and this was a matter of debate with the, the Wonder Twins, um, Kang's minions, the the, the blue headed, uh, you know, the people with the blue masks. Mm-hmm. Were they people or were they robots? What 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 are your thoughts on that? They're nondescript. I I would imagine. Probably more towards robot thinking, since you didn't see a distinctive yeah. face, and there were so many of them. So, in fact, I had seen on one version of um, the poster where they do a similar pattern of the multi 
characters that are there, Ant-Man in, in the front and you know, looking over the shoulder at the face of Kang and so on, that you had at the bottom of that poster several of these robots on either side. So I'm going to go with, with non-human. I love how we're all saying robots, by the way. Well, That's the know. way I love saying so, it, too, so, so it's good. Max and Dina and I had a big debate on it, and the conclusion we came to was that it was probably they were probably some kind of cyborg organism um, and to switch streams kind of like the dialects in um, uh, Doctor Who where you have the organic you know creature that can't survive outside of the dialect um, uh, armor but that's that especially Dina Dina was very strong in her opinion that that was what they were so mm -hmm. just interesting yeah. the fact that the fact that I can have these kind of conversations with my teenage kids that makes the movie a 10 out of a 10. So. And you waited a long time for that to happen, I think, right? <laughs> I did. <laughs> but I think what the very, very end was seeing something a little bit different than you typically do, the same lettering, the same font, but Kang will return. That was the one moment oh, where I thought to myself, I'm like, well, no shit, he's coming back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but on the flip side, it really was like a, yeah, I can see that. I can 100% see that. And the other thing, too, and like Peter was saying about having to need to watch some of the Disney Plus shows and so on, although this point isn't critical, but seeing all the timelines and you're like, oh, if you've seen, you've like, oh, I know where I first saw those. And that was from Loki. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, here here's my bigger point of view on that. And I know that there are people who have, you know, said you know, oh, it's terrible that you have to watch everything. You know, uh, you know they they expect us to consume all of their stuff. There are other people who say they love it, and all I know is, you know, twelve year old Stu picture my grown up head with a beard on a you know on a kid's body, so <gasps> my own little version of Modoc. But basically, twelve year old Stu wanted to have what they're doing now. This whole interconnected universe of 31 movies and multiple TV shows and animations. I mean, this is what we asked for. So please don't complain now that we have it. Yep. You know, we wanted to have everything to make sense. We complain about DC that we don't have this. So I, I, for, I don't watch everything, but, you know, um, mostly like 98% of the stuff. But I think that this is one of the benefits. This is what Marvel has done well. So. Tell him, Steve. Dave. I'm with you. I'm with you, Stu. That's that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so now that is going to wrap this episode up for today. Stu, thank you as always for joining us on the program. Well, it, it's a pleasure being here. And if, if you want to hear more of me, but obviously even more of the Wonder Twins, you can find the Stewing It podcast on SoundCloud and on YouTube. For the Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Stu. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior! <laughs>